Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And I can't bounce it until that tar part starts. It's wrong. Welcome back to the show. The Denver Nuggets will take on the Miami Heat in Miami, a pivotal. Uh, game three, obviously, joining us now to talk about it from the Denver Gazette is Tyler King. You can follow him on Twitter at King underscore Tyler B. Tyler, thank you for joining us. Uh, the first time we've had a chance to talk to you, looking forward to it. And uh, your first thoughts coming out of this game, especially Michael Malone's reaction after game one and after game two, the idea that maybe he's a little bit panicked. Do you see that as well? Yeah, thanks for having, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I mean, it was a very interesting scene after game two. You rarely do see a coach questioning the effort of his team after, you know, NBA finals game. But I think it was warranted with how the Nuggets kind of lost focus defensively at times, especially, you know, with guys like Michael Porter Jr. and Kavius Caldwell-Pope. Um, it's kind of late on rotations a lot. Um, I don't know if it was worrisome for, for uh, Michael Malone, maybe a little bit, as more of just trying to wake his guys up and get them to realize because, uh, as most of them haven't been on the stage yet, that this is the NBA Finals and this team is going to make you work for all 24 seconds of, of possession and they have to be locked in for, for all 48 minutes of the game, which obviously they weren't um, in, in Sunday's game too. And obviously he's hoping for a little bit better effort from his guys tonight. But he complained after game one too and they won that one. Uh, he said on Friday that the Nuggets didn't play well and then on Saturday he doubled down and was even more emphatic about it. And I remember listening to it live and wondering, what is he doing? I, what's he going to say after they lose? You have no place to go. You've already said your team didn't play well after a win, which I thought, I don't know if the Miami people took it this way. I thought it was highly disrespectful of the Miami Heat. I mean, you beat them by 11, and, you know, it's like Tiger Woods saying, <laughs> saying as he did when he first uh, joined the tour, Oh, I can win with my C game. I didn't have my A game this week. I won with my C game, and he won by five strokes or something. I mean, it's kind of disrespectful. Now, Woods could back it up. Malone's just like the players. He's never been in the NBA Finals before as a head coach. Yeah, I think this is just a little bit of kind of what we've seen most of the year from Michael Malone. He's always pretty critical of guys. He doesn't really get overly positive in post-game. Um, and I think I think more for game one, it was more just had to do with how bad of a taste it left in his mouth from the fourth quarter where they're outscored by 10. But he uh, didn't say, both- say that. I don't mean to be argumentative. That's not what he said, though. If he had said that, it, it would have been perfectly reasonable, but he didn't say that. His review of the game was, we did not play well. I understand yesterday he's starting to walk these things back now, 
and he's focused, as he should be, on the fourth quarter woes. But that's not what he said after game one. And it wasn't an expression of concern. It wasn't a warning. It was a declaration that was patently false that he made. It was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard a coach do after a win to say your team didn't play well in the NBA Finals. No NBA coach in the history of the NBA Finals after a win has knocked his team. Yeah, I fully agree. I think it, I think it wasn't wise for Malone to say, and maybe it did have an effect on some of his guys. But I think they do have the mind heat their full respect um, at this point series after the way they stole Game Two in that fourth quarter. And um, you know, that's just I think it's just been Malone's philosophy is trying to wake his guys up, and he uses the post-game press conference to do that. But maybe that's something that's got to change here at, the, at this point in the stage, and just how much media attention this is getting more than he's had in his entire life. So, um, yeah, I don't think that was wise what he did at the end of, at the end of game one. And right. It was just clear frustration after the fourth quarter. But, um, yeah, he's definitely got to be a little bit more positive. But it, this is the guy who said after Sunday night, well, they played it like it was a regular season game, but you reacted after a win as if it had been a game in November. Where, where, yes, you have a little more latitude in a you know early season game to to maybe go off on your players like that and say that's not our standard. We're playing the worst team in the league, and we uh, collapsed in the fourth quarter. Or we didn't do what we should have done in the fourth quarter. But it, it it was it was ironic to me because it came from the same guy who was whining that the national media. Uh, and maybe segments of the local media too were disrespecting his team, and no one showed more disrespect for his team than Michael Malone did after Game One. No one, at any point during these playoffs, showed less respect. But a- anyway, the, the, the quick follow-up I wanted to ask you on a kind of a different. Uh, clearly, his comments were directed at Michael Porter, and basically no one else. Although he didn't name Porter on Sunday night. What are the chances? that Bruce Brown not only gets into the game quickly if Porter doesn't get off to a good start, but at some point in this series, maybe not tonight, but at some point might start over Porter. They might start with a lineup they've often used this year at the end of games that includes Bruce Brown, but not Michael Porter Jr., I think there's a pretty, pretty low chance that MPJ is not starting every game in the series. I just don't think that's a, a wise move for him confidence-wise, even if maybe it is the right move basketball-wise, because I am pretty convinced at this point that Bruce Brown should probably be, be closing games. I mean, I thought he was their best, pl- their second-best player in game two, obviously outside of Nikola Jokic. I, oh, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you on that. I, I mean, I thought Christian Brown gave him a real spark in the first half, but you're right. In the fourth quarter, Jokic and Brown were by far their best players, and they got the playing time that suggested that Malone felt that way too. Yeah, Brown was definitely a big boost in the first half when they were able to kind of erase that deficit and then take the, the big lead, but he kind of got had some bad defensive lapses early in that fourth quarter when – Duncan Robinson had that big spurt from Miami where he scored 10 points in about two minutes. Um, but, yeah, I, they've got to go to Bruce Brown more, I think, at the end of games. And it's just helpful if Miami's going to continue to 
really bug Jamal Murray as much as possible, whether that is using guys like Haywood Highsmith to pick him up full court um, and just trying to take the ball out of his hands. I mean, Bruce Brown has proved himself as a capable ball handler, and he's, he, even he and Jokic have a pretty good two-man game, I think, where they're able to operate and score efficiently on offense. So, yeah, I, I would not, not mind if Bruce Brown was closing games the rest of the way for, for the Nuggets in the series. We're talking with Tyler King of the Denver Gazette, King underscore Tyler B on uh, Twitter, and and that that's that's a good point there with with Bowen, uh, pardon me, with Brown and uh, with uh, Nikola Jokic having a good two man game. They most certainly do. But uh, are are we at a certain point maybe overcompensating? The Denver Nuggets played a game in which they did not really look all that good. They did not look like themselves. Uh, other players beyond Michael Porter Jr. Did not play great defense at times. Closeouts were a problem. The offense looked perplexed. And the Nuggets lost by three. I, I mean, is there some risk of overcompensating here? Yeah, I definitely think there is. I mean, we saw how – I think this Nuggets have just proven that they're able to explode offensively in very short bursts. Like, they were down for double digits a lot of that fourth quarter, but were able to quickly rally at the end there and even – have a chance to tie on, on the last possession. Um, and we saw how quickly they were able to erase an 11-point deficit in the first half and turned it into a 15-point lead. Um, I, I do think there is a little bit of maybe some panic, even though I would say since the third quarter of Game 1, the Heat have been the better team. Um, but oh, yeah. They, I, they're plus 13 over the last five quarters. Definitely. You're right. And the Nuggets were, I think, plus plus 21 in the first three quarters of, of game one. So um, there's definitely a chance that, I mean, the Nuggets need to get back to that team in the first three quarters. That was, you know, it was a much more shared offensive game plan where the, the, the best version of the Nuggets is when Nikola Jokic is distributing as well as scoring. And he has the full confidence when, when he's passing to his teammates, which it didn't seem like he had. It seemed like a switch flipped early in game two in the first quarter where he realized, his teammates didn't have it that night, and he had to kind of take over scoring, which I don't think leads to the best and most efficient offense for the Nuggets. I think, obviously, what we saw in the first half of Game 1 is the best version of the Denver offense when Nikola Jokic is just willing to throw it to whoever is out there on the floor and get everybody involved, unlike you know in Game 2 where he just kind of took over and was felt the need to score in every possession. I, I'm going to make a maybe an odd comparison here, but I, I played baseball, not basketball, and, and I played as an infielder. And the one thing I kind of learned is, uh, you know, when the ball comes to you, you need to know what to do with it. And if you think about it, it's probably too late. The Nuggets too long, too many times in this game got a little bit perplexed by what Miami was doing. The decision-making was slow. And as a result, their early offense really vanished. Too many times they were forced into action at the end of the shot clock because they were a little bit confused as to what to do. The Nuggets, when they're flowing well, find somebody open, that person shoots. The shot clock's almost irrelevant. The Nuggets, can they find a way to get back to that, or is that something that Miami has been able to basically sort of junk up the game enough that it's going to be a problem for Denver to get back to that sort of natural, easy flow? No, I think they actually can get back to that, and I think that's a great point you made because it was the first quarter offense for Denver was a complete contrast to game one where they were just simply hunting mismatches at every possible chance, mainly with Aaron Gordon, who had – at 12 points all at the rim in that first quarter of game one. Um, I still think there's a chance to do that. And I think one of the big keys for, for tonight's game is I, obviously Miami is likely going to stick with Kevin Love in the starting lineup because that really works for them. He was a plus 18 in 22 minutes. But I just think Denver needs to make 
Love work harder. They didn't really make him do a whole lot of defending when he was out there, just kind of letting him play a sag off Aaron Gordon, help a little bit uh, on Nikola Jokic when uh, he's driving out of bio. But, and I, the Nuggets were able to take advantage of that like once or twice, but not nearly enough. They've got to make sure Kevin Love is involved in defensive action on just about every possession. I mean, the Miami is doing that to Nikola Jokic mainly not because he's a poor defender. I think Nikola Jokic has actually been really good defensively in the postseason, but for a guy whose shoulder is such a big offensive load, it's, it's important to get him uh, involved on defense so that way he's at least exerting some energy on that on the floor and isn't able to rest up. Um, I think the, the Nuggets do the same thing for, for Kevin Love. Even if he's only going to play 25, 26, 28 minutes tonight, um, you got to make sure he's involved, and especially on every possession defensively, and try to use Aaron Gordon's size, even though it's not a big height advantage or maybe not even a height advantage at all over, over Love. He's got a, a physicality advantage and can should be able to post him up and get to the rim at least. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think you have to make Love a straight-up defender, and you've got to get him in space. I mean, I think you got to attack him on pick and roll and make him defend in space, something the Nuggets didn't do the other night. I think you make an outstanding point. In that respect, I'm to pick up on the point you made about Jokic defensively. I'm thinking of several plays I've seen in the last couple of days from game two where they literally had him chasing from the paint out close to the three point line and then trying to get back into the paint in time to disrupt the shooter or the roller, and obviously he wasn't able to do that, but there is plenty of visual evidence that uh, the Heat were able to make him exert some energy, as you mentioned, on the defensive end of the floor. Whether they ended up converting or not, they got him moving in space. And I mean, to me, that made his performance on offense all the more remarkable. Uh, the only thing I question with Jokic is why he didn't play a little more uh, in the second half, especially uh, on Sunday in game two. But uh, you're right, and that's why I wonder if it's your perception, too. We, we talk about you know adjustments and counter-adjustments and everything else. This is really a neck-up series, and the reason I still think the Nuggets – have a great chance even to close out that series before a seventh game is because from the neck up, the most stable player out there is Nikola Jokic. He's affected by absolutely nothing. He's totally unflappable. Yeah, I fully agree. I think they just need to let Jokic be himself um, and trust that he's going to be able to control the game like we've seen so, so often throughout these playoffs as the best player in the planet over these last two months. Um, and I fully agree. I think you should play more. I think they need to, especially if Miami is now content or set on playing bigger than they did in game one, which clearly didn't work, playing as small as they did and not playing love at all um, and having a really small lineup when, when Adebayo's out there and even trusting Cody Zeller for, I think, a couple too many minutes. Um, That's the only move that Spolster's made in this series where I'm shaking my head. I don't know what he's thinking about playing that guy at all. Yeah, I think Nikola Jokic at this point finds it offensive, and every time the Miami 
tries to put Zeller out there on him. I think he's just intent on driving straight through Zeller's chest and putting him straight in the basket uh, every time he sees him guarding him. Um, and if Miami's going to continue to play Zeller, which I don't think they should at all, um, then you've got to you've got to take advantage of that and win those minutes because I think he was close to about, about a minus, minus 11 in about eight minutes in game two, something like that, as Zeller was. So just I think Jokic has to play close to 41, 42 minutes. Oh, going. I'd say 45, 46. <laughs> I wouldn't take him yeah. out in the second half he's if the game's closed. He's proven he's in shape for that. He's, he's been – Oh, yeah. He's trying to run the floor and push the pace. So I, I, I would trust that Jokic is ready for that right now. He is Tyler King. Make sure you give him a follow at King underscore Tyler B on Twitter with the Denver Gazette and putting everything together over there. Uh, appreciate the time, Tyler. Obviously, some really good insights there. Thanks a lot for the uh, sort of X's and O's talk. That's always fun. We'll find out how it goes tonight, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, thank you so much, uh, Tyler King from the Denver Gazette. And and uh, a really good point that he made there that I do that I, I think we, we will want to talk about. Now, of course, we'll have Coach Carl in just a couple minutes. But the idea of... If Kevin Love's going to be out there, make him run. Make him run. Use use Aaron Gordon as the screener. Make him move. Make him change. Exactly. Make him do some things. Exactly. There are there are some ways that Nikola Jokic and Aaron Gordon can unlock a couple things, both on the offensive and defensive side. One of them would be uh, setting Gordon as that screener and going with the screener role and making Love try to fight through that and and chase him. That's gonna. This is a guy that's had, by the way, kind of a foot injury. I mean, you test it. Yeah. How, how good oh, are you? I, how ready are you? I, I couldn't that's agree part more. Of it. And then the other part of it that you can do is keep in mind, this is a, a situation in which this team could try something that we saw late that you might be able to cash in. And that was, even though they haven't tried very many lobs over Bam at a bio, Oh, Nikola Jokic scooted out more to the free throw line, I and all agree. of a sudden that window I, opened up. I you have agree. to make Kevin and Love then, chase then, it. it. It can be Jokic. It can be Gordon. If he's going to front, it can be Bruce Brown make, when he's there. You've got to make him pay a price for that. Yes, and they didn't really. But now work Jokic that knows kind of stuff the other coming. night very well. And he knows it's coming, and that makes it very well, interesting. It, but it isn't just Jokic. It's, not. it's the guy who's got to lob the ball to him. Yep. Most of the time, that's going to be Murray. And it's also Gordon, uh, who's also going to be available behind Adebayo, too. Or, uh, I suppose, Porter. In the same way, yep. he's springy enough. Certainly I, is. I, I just think they, they get comfortable, and even Malone pointed out the other night, Again, 16 fast break points in the first half and two in the second half. I understand that Miami played better in the second half and it was harder to run at them, but I think it's a mindset, and I think when they get ahead, they relax, and it's easier for Miami to lure them into a slower Tempo. Yes, because Miami it would rather be slower, and they are not remotely afraid of having this game be slower. And the other thing to keep in mind that the Nuggets have to avoid, because you're right. I mean, I get it. It's human nature, but they do tend to relax a little bit. They are playing a team that is in the finals right now because the Miami Heat don't do that. We, they we don't They don't take this. minutes off, let and alone quarters. If, if only for a few minutes <laughs> to take the focus off Malone, I'm kidding. 
I think what changed between game one and game two was the constructive fear of losing that the Nuggets had for the most part in game one. I didn't sense that they had that in game two. And they can say all they want about how much they respect the Heat, but they should have learned this lesson after game one. The Heat don't get discouraged when they get behind by double digits. In fact, they play with more tenacity. They play with more ferocity. And if anything, the coach becomes more ingenious in the way that he makes alterations Mm -hmm. and adjustments. Unlike the Timberwolves, unlike the Suns, unlike the Lakers, who dried up and blew away when the Nuggets established their dominance. It ain't going to happen with the Miami Heat, and it doesn't matter where the game is played. If they get down, they're harder to beat. (laughs) To a certain extent. They they really are. Uh, I'm not suggesting that the Nuggets fall 10 points behind, so Miami might let up a little bit, but you've got to be aware that this is a different animal. It's obviously the best coach team they've faced in the playoffs, and it is equally obvious that as a playing group, they are more competitive and more resilient than any team the Nuggets have faced in the playoffs. Yeah, they are. They're not going away. So the Nuggets uh, want a win tonight, obviously, but if you are injured, you need a win, and that's why you should call our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, the phone number is 720-845-7001. You want to hire the winner, and their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. When you're injured, they'll push for you to get that maximum recovery, whether it's by settlement or by trial. So don't don't hire someone off of the billboard. Hire someone that's local that you can find locations all over the front range in Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, the DTC, Colorado Springs, and Cheyenne, that main personal injury office right here near Miley Sports in the DTC. So they will fight for you when you're injured and when you're seriously hurt. Go hire the winner. That's Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com. Phone number 720-845-7001. We will break this game down, preview it with, well, uh, the best person in town you could possibly do that with. That would be Hall of Fame head coach George Carl. will join us next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Always delighted to be joined by our next guest. We will have George Carl in uh, just a couple minutes to break this game down. But the interesting spot that that, that the Nuggets are in that Tyler King brought up. For the last five quarters, the Heat have been the better team. Now, the the Nuggets, I still think, I, I look at this game, and I look at the last game, and I think, okay, they did, they just, there were so many, there were more things that went wrong for the Nuggets that went right. 
and they lost by three. Well, and and, and the Heat shot forty eight percent from three point. I mean, I don't think the sky is falling. Is there a danger? Absolutely. Do the Nuggets have to be better? Yes, they do. But are there counters for what the Heat have offered? Yes, exactly. there are. And 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 you talk about the mean all the time. If the Miami Heat are shooting in the 40% range from three-point land in the playoffs. Yeah. No, 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 but I'm just saying. Game one, 33%. Game two, 48%. Isn't 40% roughly between those yeah, two roughly, extremes? Yeah. So, okay, uh, they're a 40% shooting team from three-point land in the playoffs, and that's about what they're shooting uh, in this series so far. If this exact game, same uh, game in occurs, this series, they shoot 40%. In this series, they're shooting... One. They're shooting 40.5%. Right. The Nuggets are shooting 34.5%. The Nuggets don't have to win the three-ball game in order to win, but they can't get scorched. And what changed the other night was, as opposed to game one, everything was even in game two except the three-ball, which favored Miami by 18 points. Joining us now to talk about that, of course, Hall of Fame head coach George Carl. You can follow him on Twitter at CoachCarl22, records through the basketball podcast with uh, Sandy Clough right here as well. Coach, let's start there. Uh, the three-point defense for the Denver Nuggets, obviously Miami is sort of gaming the system, right? They're looking at the pace and space mentality of, of the league, and even though they don't go into the pace part of it, they certainly put up a whole bunch of threes, kind of figuring that enough threes will overcome a Porsche night from two. So if you're the Nuggets, what do you take away from game two and make sure that you don't give some of these guys as open the looks as they had in that last loss? Well, I think any time that you're worried about the three ball, it's because of how much penetration on the offensive end of the court is creating over help. And when you get into help situations, you you, you pick up you pick up poorly at times. Transition defense, I think they've been okay with. But the one thing Miami is good at is that they they are a good transition defensive team. So. The two best threes in basketball are in transition and off our offensive rebounds. And Miami got a couple of them in the fourth quarter the other night. Uh, one was kind of a weird play. I, I saw it the, other, the next day, and it was just because uh, Martin made a three out of the corner because he ran underneath the basket. The ball bounced out, and Jimmy Butler found him. But so much of the three-ball shooting is, is the guys that make the playmaking decisions, the guys who have the ball in their hands all the time. Jokic, I think we all know, is sensational at finding the open three. But really, the other guys on on Denver in five-on-five sets do not create for each other as well as Miami, Miami might do. And so uh, I just think they got to be more aware of their build-outs and, and and not play in what I call no man's land where they're right. not helping, they're not helping and they're not covering. They got to make a decision to help aggressively, or fake the fake the help and get out to the three ball. And my my gut says, you know, some of their shooters the own like a couple of their guys. The only thing they can do is shoot. So make them drivers, make them penetrators. But the in the in the last game they ran by them sometimes. They ran out at him, but they didn't make him drive. They ran, ran out so far by him that they could still shoot the three by escaping. 
Right. Exactly. They had a few of those. You're, you're right. Yeah. Exactly right on that. I wanted to ask you, uh, and we talked about it a little bit on the podcast today, the first three quarters of games one and two, the Nuggets are plus 29. In the fourth quarter of games one and two, the Nuggets are minus 21. What do they do about that? Well, man, Sandy, you know that's kind of, you know, like – there are a lot. Of, I've all I've coached teams that are just above average defensively, but we we became as the game went on because of your awareness, you became a better defensive team in the fourth quarter. And this has been the exact opposite. And I think Miami is just really confident, especially in Jimmy Butler. But they're also confident in that they're going to win the fourth quarter. And I just think it's got to be more pride. It's got to be more of, I thought the zone kind of took the ball out of Jokic's hands a little bit. Um, but I really think we need a big game out of Jokic tonight. I, I think we should give him the ball a lot more than we gave him in game two. I know Murray's touches were down, but I want the last thing I want to see is Jokic's touches be down because I think we need his, not only his scoring, but we need his decision-making and his business. His ability to facilitate. Coach, where would you like to see those touches occur, given the fact that Bam Adebayo is trying to front and make sure they're doing what they can to deny Jokic the ball? Well, I thought in game one, he was at the high post in the handoff game. The, the handoff game and the pick and roll game was very effective. I didn't see as much in the second game. I don't know if that's because of the zone or not. Uh, but the zone is... A, the one thing that zone does, it does not dictate. When you play zone, your offense doesn't know where the shot is going to come from. You got to find the shot. You got to make the shot. You got to move the ball and and and, and find some open space. Um, so I, I think Miami's going to play more zone. I think Miami's going to play Kevin Love, and he's going to be the secondary secondary defender yep. on Jokic, and Butler's going to be on Murray. And the other thing Miami did probably better than Denver. As the game goes on, offensive, offensive, offensive plays and kind of mentality is you kind of target guys. And I thought, I thought Miami was really aware of Murray and Porter Jr. And they were targeting them as the guys they wanted to go after. And I thought in the fourth quarter, that's where we broke down most. It just seemed like Butler and Lowry and their playmakers were being covered by Murray or Porter Jr. a lot of that, a lot of that fourth quarter. You made an interesting point on the podcast today. Uh, Murray had 10 assists in game one and seemed notable as a passer. He had game totals that were similar, uh, at least with the assists, identical in game two, 10 assists, but it didn't seem as apparent that he was making plays in game two. Uh, Can you talk about that a a little bit? I mean, people look at the box score and say he had 10 assists in game one, 10 assists in game two. What's the difference? But you noticed a big difference in in watching the game. He didn't impact the game as much 
as a playmaker in game two. It didn't seem that way anyway. Sandy, you know I'm not a big stat guy. and I'm more of a feel guy. Sure. And I did not feel Murray except for the second quarter of that game. I felt Jokic. I felt, I felt you know, that the, their offense had some flow because of the second quarter outbreak. But then in the second half, it just shut down. There wasn't any flow. There wasn't any rhythm. There wasn't any easy basket. And, and from my, my thought is, I think Miami kind of knows where they want to go. And Denver in the fourth quarter did not know where to go with the zone. And uh, I think I, I'm sure they've cleaned it up a little bit. Um, but I got I I to say that I'm, very, I'm still very optimistic that Denver's going to figure out how to win this series. It's not a must win, but I think it's a must play better game for the Denver Nuggets. We're talking with Coach George Carl, and Coach, I have a question for you regarding actually the uh, the sort of in-betweens of, of coaching and the idea of when you're only playing seven, eight guys at this time of the year. Each individual person's personality comes into play in different manners. And so when a head coach paints with a broad brush, whether it's uh, Malone talking about the team not playing well after game one or, or perhaps seemingly singling out Michael Porter after game two without saying so, how do you handle those knowing that certain guys like Nikola Jokic are just kind of fire and forget, just let him do his thing. Certain guys needs the, need the uh, kick at the backside occasionally. And some guys need the attaboys. Uh, how do you find a way to do that during these playoff runs and still make sure that you're taking care of your players? So they're in the best mindset, ready to play in any individual game. Well, you know, I think, I think people ought to realize that every morning coaches get together and they talk about, what we always called ego management and attitude adjustment. And, you know, after every game, you take a pulse of what, how guys were reacting to, how they played, if they lost, if they won. And I think it's uh, when you have two days off, you have time to communicate probably more one-on-one than in a team setting. You communicate one-on-one what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And, um, and right now in the NBA, in play, when you're in the finals of the NBA, there can't be any ego. No one can be upset by what the coach says or what he wants. Everybody's got to trust and believe and move forward. The one thing about this series right now that worries me a little bit is we have not seen the superstar Butler. We have not seen the guy that can go get 40. And... He's been good in game one and game two, but he hasn't been great. And I think that, that I would be aware of tonight's game that if, if Butler gets into the game early, I, I'm kind of nervous because Butler really has his super power, mental power, to have an effect on his team and his teammates. And so I think it's a superstar game. I think it's Jokic, Butler. And I would almost bet whoever plays better between the two of them, that's who's going to win tonight. I'll ask you the same question I did last week before game one as uh, we get set to let you go. Uh, What should we look for, uh, apart from what you just said, early in the game, uh, uh, Jokic and Butler, obviously two guys you're going to be looking at uh, the most, and you figure Butler will be fired up in front of his home crowd. 
But what else are you looking for uh, from the Nuggets uh, early on, even if you assume the second half is going to be close and the game will be decided at the end the way the game was decided the other night at the end? Well, I think from a stat standpoint, the little things of the game are going to help to win this game. Uh, Who's going to have more possessions? So you got second shots on the offensive glass. You got the turnover game, and you got the free throw game. And those three things, if Denver would win all three of them, I don't think they can lose the game. But I think Miami has a better defensive team that creates turnovers than Denver does. So I, I don't want to see a, 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 a flawed game by Denver. I want them to handle that Miami's pressure, move the ball, find the open man, and knock down some shots. The guys... In game one, they made some. Game two, they missed them. It's time now to go on the road and make some threes. That, of course, is Coach George Carl. You can find him on Twitter at CoachCarl22. And while you're there, you know, pay attention to Coach's new media company, Truth Plus Media, podcast on sports, leadership, and human performance. You can find that at truthplusmedia.com, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube. Uh, you find, well, find it wherever you'd like to. And, of course, check out the latest Truth and Basketball podcast uh, in concert with Mile High Sports. And uh, with this man sitting next to me, Sandy Clough. Coach, always Here's good one to today. talk to you. Uh, yeah, catch up. Catch the fresh one. There's time before the game tonight so go ahead catch truth and basketball coach uh, enjoy the game thank you for all the insight and looking forward to next time already sounds good guys have a good one let's get, let's get a go nuggets let's get, let's get a win all right it is uh it is not do or die but it is an 80 80 percent yeah it says and i get it. i said it but you have to account for the 20 percent where it hasn't happened right. and you also have to account Commonality for the fact not causality that since the 2010 finals Four and four. <laughs> Just say it. So, yeah. For the a team while, that wins game three when it's 1 1. 50 50. It's 50 50 uh, over the last 14 years, 13 years, I guess, uh, prior to this one. Uh, it's been an even split, four and four. So I, I agree with you, and I agree with what Coach Carl said. It's not a must win game, but it is definitely a must play better game, well, especially in the fourth quarter. They've got to play better in the fourth quarter. If the game is inside of 10 points, if it's 20 or more, you can play a lousy fourth quarter as they did in game one, and it doesn't really make much difference. You're never in danger of losing. However, if you're up eight as they were, even though their record this year is almost immaculate when they're up eight or more after three quarters, if it's single digits, the Heat aren't going to just fold up and go away. They're going to keep coming, and they're going to play better. Here's the irony the other night. First quarter, great finish by the Nuggets. Second quarter, their best quarter of the game. Mm -hmm. Lousy finish. Lousy finish to the half. Third quarter, great finish. Fourth quarter, 13-4 to in the last three minutes, 12 seconds. But... It's all the stuff that happened in between, including a stretch of more than 25 minutes in which the Heat here in Denver outscored the Nuggets 72 to 45. You can't play that badly for that long and hope to win a playoff game. Doesn't matter where you play. Game tips in less than three hours. We'll be back to tell you more about what we think will happen, what we hope will happen next on Mile High Sports. Yeah, lift your body, 
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Of course, we want to have your opinion on this. This is your show as well with the Nuggets taking on the Heat tonight in Game 3. A couple texts here. Danny Bailey in the booth uh, keeping an eye on those for us. What did you find, Danny? First one, Sandy. Nugs need to bring up a screener against their press, and then they can establish a, a mismatch. Push, push, push. Try and dribble gaps in their zone and kick to shooter. Porter needs to put the ball on the floor. Great text. <laughs> I could uh, said it and wouldn't have said it as well myself. I, I'm not even going to try to add to that. That's just a terrific set of observations. Agree on all of them. And in the first game, on the last point with Porter, in the first game we saw him not only go off the dribble to score, but go off the dribble to pass mm-hmm. and set up a score mm-hmm. uh, at least once. And game one, we didn't see any of that. It was the old Porter, um, you know, whose game relied completely on the three ball, and he wasn't making them any more than he was making them in game one. I mean, he's three for 17 in the two games. Uh, I think game one, he was two for 11. So actually, uh, he shot fewer threes in game two, but I I thought he was invisible uh, unless he was making a defensive mistake that was obvious. He was ter- and when he was George terrible. Carl talked about, uh, you know, being in no man's land, that's where Michael Porter was right throughout defensively on Sunday night in no man's land. He wasn't helping aggressively, but he sure as hell wasn't getting out to the shooter at the three-point line. Here's what uh, Michael Porter Jr. told uh, Mike Singer, the never post reporting in this case. Yes. So You've definitely got to own it. You can't be sensitive. Me personally, right. I know I've got to play better. If my teammates tell me that, I'm not going to be sensitive. If I tell that to someone else, say, yo, you've got to tell me if we got to work on switches. They're not going to be sensitive. Talked about how at, at this point, he said, quote, it's just about winning. At this point where we're at, we don't have time for dudes to be in their feelings. Yeah. And I like that line. Uh, he, he did also finish with the the very, he asked specifically what he could do. And he, he said, uh, um, you know, he needs to communicate a little bit better. He said a lot of them do. He said, I think intensity and energy wasn't where it needed to be for me personally or the team as a whole. We can talk about the mistakes we made defensively, but really it's intensity. They're doing things that are hard to guard. Our communication has to be on point. But the main thing is communication. Those defensive lapses can make it look like we're not playing hard because they get open shots. But really, we need to be locked into what we're doing and the coverages. I have to play with energy, effort, fall into easy buckets off cuts, off of transition. So yeah. m- uh-huh. it does appear, and that's one of the things that y- you know, you've mentioned as well. The the man seems to be maturing. Yeah. And, and in there seems to have a clear understanding of what has to be done between game two and game three and isn't pouting about it, uh, it is going out there. And, and if that's the case, you know, he's not going to shoot three for 17 from three for, for all that long. He's too good a shooter. Yeah. So... But the psychology is fascinating. Yes. And 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 I think I, I agree with you that as a man, he's grown up a lot in the last few months for various reasons. And yet as a player, there's still that up and down tendency. Now, I thought in the four games against the Lakers, he was great. He was great. I, I mean, I had no uh, fault to find with his game at all in any of the four games of that series. Here, I thought he had a terrific, if understated, game one. And I agree with you. I, I thought, at the very least, it was his worst game of the year the other night. It, it, it was, it was bad. In game two, 
where he did let his offensive frustrations carry over uh, to the other end of the floor. And uh, he and Malone both have challenges in terms of their relationship. There's no question. And I'm not, you know, sometimes I side with Malone and sometimes I side with Porter on this stuff, but it can't be that extreme. Well, let's sneak in a, another one here before we have to scoot. Absolutely. This one from Joe. Do you think Malone's critical comments effectively compromise his us against the world, no one believes in us narrative that he's successfully used to motivate the team to get to this point? Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much that's motivated I think, the I think team. there is to an extent, yes. But, but yes, I, I do. If you're going to circle I the do. wagon, circle the wagon. Yes, yes. And it, again, Keep it in house. the contradiction is that the fellow who talked more than any player about how the team was being disrespected mm-hmm. by the national media in the first three rounds the coach. is the one showing the most disrespect toward his players in the NBA Finals. And I I think that leaves the players a little puzzled. And vulnerable. Although I think it in, in some ways they're used to it. And the key guy is point. Jokic. And I think you follow, if you're a player, I'm not saying you rebel against the head coach. Oh, no. Especially not but, now. Goodness but you take your psychological cues from Jokic, not Malone. Right, right, and that's that's where uh, the Uncle Jeff mentality. Jeff, look, that's why he, he's here as much as anything. Some of the guys with some experience. Although Uncle Jeff sounded up. like a parrot the other night when he just echoed. No, he's, what he's getting, he's getting closer to uh, coaching ages. You know, Contavious Caldwell Pope, the only guy on mm-hmm. this team with the ring, uh, knows what it, it looks like. But you're right. I mean, this team should do what it's what it's look on the court, off the court. You have the best player on planet Earth. Follow Take your cues from him. Follow follow, follow his cues. Okay. Don't don't don't. When pay when any he's attention. when he's in the off season, he's hooking up that little Surrey wagon to the horses. In the season, you hook up that wagon to him. him. Don't define yourself by what the coach is saying about you. I'm not saying ignore the coach and his instructions. That's not what I mean. I say ignore the coach's flighty uh, mood changes and uh, his rage. Frankly, that uh, we've seen both during games and after games during this. Seriously. Well, as uh, Gary Kubiak famously said, we're fixing to find out what yes, the Denver Nuggets will do in Game 3. We'll certainly have a lot to talk about tomorrow. Thanks too much for Coach George Carl joining us, Tyler King from the Denver Gazette joining us as well. Danny Bailey's in the booth making it all look and sound good. But, of course, we'll uh, give away here because Afternoon Drive with Anil Apir and Cordy Rooks coming up next. And they will take you up just almost to tips. So, hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks to everyone for watching on Mile High Sports. You can do that. Of course, you can watch it. Uh, as well as listen to it. So thanks to everyone who's doing that. And on the Miley Sports app, crystal clear whenever you want it. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. We'll be back tomorrow, but you want to keep it right here on Mile High Sports. Separated. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.